Good morning. Welcome to Catalyst. Really glad you came to join us this Sunday morning. Uh, today we're going to be continuing with a series that we started last year. We actually had a, quite an extended break from our series through Acts, but we haven't forgotten. Uh, we're still going through Acts. So um, today we're going to look at Acts 18, but before we do, since we've kind of taken a long break from this, I wanted to give us just a little overview, just a reminder of where we are in the book of Acts. So uh, I have a map up here, if we can get that up. It's uh, a map of the Apostle Paul and his two missionary journeys, uh, two of the three missionary journeys that he has. Have trouble getting that up? So, um, when we look at chapter 18, this is going to be Paul's second missionary journey. So, uh, I mentioned before that his home base was a church in Antioch. So, that would be like uh, our home church is Catalyst. So, Pastor Peter or other missionaries they have uh, that consider Catalyst their home base, that would be like Antioch for Paul. So, Paul has Antioch as his home base. So, he starts his missionary journeys in Antioch. And then he goes uh, where the Lord leads him, and then he comes back to Antioch. So in the second missionary journey, uh, he's on his way uh, through Athens and then to Corinth, and he's going to go back to Antioch. Okay, so that's where we're going to pick up the story in Acts 18, starting in verse 5. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 18, verse 5. It says, when, Paul, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Okay, so if you look at Acts chapter 18, uh, in verses 5 through 7, uh, Silas and Timothy came and joined Paul in Macedonia. Okay, and when they did, Paul was able to devote himself to preaching. So he started preaching as his, was his custom in the synagogue. So he's preaching to the Jews. And in verse 6, we see that when he was preaching to the Jews, he started getting a lot of opposition. And they became abusive to him. And so in protest, he makes this statement in verse 6. He says, your blood be on your own head, speaking to the Jews. I am innocent of it, and from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is actually a huge statement that Paul makes. That when he says in verse 6, from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And the reason this is a really significant statement for him, because it's very important for him for the Jews and for Israel to come to Christ, just like he did, just like he was a Jew and he came to Christ. It's very important. In fact, look at what he says in Romans chapter 9. Let's take a look at that. In Romans chapter 9, look at what Paul writes in verses 2 and 3. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. This is what he's talking about in referring to his fellow Jews, to the fellow people of Israel. This is how deeply 
He loves them, how deeply he has a heart for them, how intensely he desires for them to know Jesus. So much so that what does he say in verse 3? He says, I wish that I myself could be cut off from Christ. What does that mean? Basically, he'd be cut off from Christ, they'd be eternally damned. He'd be willing for himself to be cut off from Christ if that meant that all of his fellow Jews would come to know Jesus. This is Paul's heart for his fellow people, for his fellow Jews. This is how much he loves them. This is how much his heart is endeared towards them and loves them so intently that he would say something like this in Romans 9, 2, and 3. So when we go back to Romans, I mean, Acts 18, when we look at verse 6, when he says that from now on I'm going to go to the Gentiles, he's basically saying, I'm going to lay that down. This thing that's on my heart, my dream, my desire, my passion, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to go start preaching to the Gentiles. But what's really interesting when you look at the passage, what happens in the very next verses after Paul says that and lays it down? In verse 7, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. At that very moment, verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Okay, so in one moment, in one breath, he says, I'm going to lay my heart down. I'm going to lay my dreams down. I'm going to lay down all of these things that are on my heart. And in the next moment, what happens? God lifts it up. God lifts it up. In fact, if you uh, look at your app, there's a notes section in there. And in the notes section, there's places where you can fill in. There's a place for that where we see in Acts chapter 18, verses um, 5 through 9, that laying things down so God can lift them up. Okay, so in the blank there, God can lift them up. This is what we see happening here in Acts chapter 18. Paul lays it down, lays down his heart and his desire and his dreams so that God can lift it up. As soon as he does that, as soon as he lays it down, his desire and says, I'm going to lay this down, what's the next thing we see happen? The next thing we see happen in verse 8 is that the leader of the synagogue comes to know Jesus. The person who has the most influence, he'd be like the pastor of the church, suddenly becomes a Christian and suddenly becomes to know Jesus. The person who has relationship with all these Jews that he had a heart for is trying to preach to, that person now comes to know Christ. In the very next moment, God lifts it up. Lifts it up in a way that he could never do himself on his own effort. It's interesting that the Lord is trying to teach me this principle for a while now, for the past couple of years. And I remember when it first started happening, it was about two or three years ago, and my son Isaac was going through a really difficult time. And uh, I know Susan and I were really, um, it was really hard for us. You know, when, as parents, when, you're, when your kids go through hard times, it's especially hard. You know, it's especially hard when you see them go through things and you really can't do anything. You can't do anything to take away the pain. You can't do anything to alleviate the suffering that they're going through. And uh, he was going through a time like that. 
And so we're praying, we're praying all the time, we're talking all the time, and uh, we don't want him to hear. So when we're walking the dogs, we walk the dogs, and then we talk about Isaac when he's not uh, in earshot of us, and we're talking and talking and praying, and what can we do, and what can we say, what can we try to do this and this and this and this, and, you know, I was getting so caught up in it. And I was praying all the time, and I was just seeking the Lord all the time and asking him for wisdom, for his grace, for his uh, insight, and for his covering, and all of these different things. And I remember one time I was praying, and then the Lord spoke to me something that kind of just shocked me. So I was praying about, uh, about Isaac, and then the Lord told me, I was, I was praying something like, uh, I want to pray for my son, Isaac, and the Lord told me, he's not your son. I'm like, what? What do you mean he's not my son? He's my son, right? And he said, he's not your son. And I was thinking, mailman? What, 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 what do you mean he's not my son? What, what happened here? Like, no, he's not your son. And after he said it again, I realized what he meant. God was saying, that's my son. That's not your son. You're a steward. That's not your son. That's my son. And he was telling me, you need to lay him down. You know, it's interesting, his name's Isaac. I just thought about Abraham and Isaac in the Bible and how Abraham had to lay down his son. But what happened? God lifted him up. God provided a ram. God does that for Paul in here. God did that for me and my family. When I laid him down, God lifted him up. And he's doing amazing now. He's flourishing. He's doing better than he has in a very, very long time. That can't happen if we continue to hold on and keep control of the things in our life. We have to lay it down so God can lift it up. This is the principle that he was trying to teach me, is that the things that are important for you, and that's what makes it so hard, right? It's not, it's like a small thing you're trying to lay down. It's not like a little thing he's asking you to put down. It's something that's really dear to you, like Paul in this passage, and something that's so important to him, like one of the most important things to him in his life. That's what he's supposed to lay down. That's what makes it so hard, isn't it? Isn't that what makes it so difficult, laying it down? Because it's so important to us. It's so dear to us. It consumes us. It's in our prayers all the time. It's in our thoughts all the time. It's in our heart all the time. These are the things that are most important to you. These are the things that are most dear to you. That's what makes it so hard to lay it down. That's what's so hard for us to give up control. That's what's so hard for us to stop pouring more energy into it and trying to, to manipulate things and try to change things and try to change people and relationships and circumstances. That's what makes it so hard for us to stop putting in our own effort. That's what makes it so difficult for us to give up control and to lay it down. Now, it's interesting. One of the things that God was teaching me during this time is that when I was trying to lay it down, and how many of you know it's not just one time. <laughs> so I just, I lay it down, but I feel like in the next moment, I just pick it back up again. Then you got to lay it down again. And then you pick it up again, and you're like, okay, I got to lay it down again, right? And I feel like what the Lord is telling me is, you have the wrong perspective when you're laying it down. And what he meant by that was, he says, when you're laying it down, what do you think is happening? 
What is your focus when you're laying it down and when you're surrendering? Are you focusing on what you're laying down? Are you focusing on what you're giving up? And then he asked me, what do you think happens when you lay something down? What do you think happens when you lay down your son? And that's when he said, that's when I'm going to pick it up. That's when I'm going to pick it up. And that's when I'm going to lift him up. And that's when I'm going to lift up the things that you're carrying. What is your focus? Is your focus on giving it up, giving up control, laying things down? Or is your focus on God lifting it up? And I think that was the change that I needed. I need to change these things because a lot of times when we think about surrender, sacrifice, laying things down, it feels like God is, things are going to have to come down to a point where we're, our, our, we're at our wit's end and we're at our, our, our last straw and then we say, oh, can we cry uncle and then we lay it down. I feel like that's not the way it's supposed to happen. And I think it's supposed to happen. That's what ends up happening is because we're so reluctant. We're focused so much on what we're giving up, so much on what we're sacrificing that we're not seeing what we're getting. We're not seeing what the fruit is coming out. And so when I started making that shift, the Lord started saying, focus in on what you're going to get. Focus in on what I'm going to do. And I think when he did that, things started shifting. And I was not reluctantly laying it down. I voluntarily laid it down. Not because I had to, not because my circumstances were so hard that I couldn't do it anymore, that I had to lay it down. I had to give up control. I had to give up. I voluntarily did it because he can lift it way higher than I can. He can do so much more with it than I can. He can produce so much more fruit than I can. He can produce so much in abundance above what I can even think or imagine than I can do. I want that. And I want to ask you this morning, do you want that? Do you want God to be producing way more than you could ever think or imagine in your life in the things that you care about the most? Do you want God to restore things? Do you want God to build them up? Do you want him to take them to new heights beyond what you could ever think or imagine? And if you want that, lay it down. Lay it down, not because you're giving up. Lay it down because you want more. You want God to come in and to do more. And so my question this morning is this. What does God want you to lay down? You know, if you look in your notes section on that, there's a little part that says notes. If you click on that, you can type in there. You can type in there. And I just want us to take a moment and ask the Lord that question. What does God want you to lay down? Who does God want you to lay down? What situation or circumstance or relationship What things in your future, what things in your family, what things at your workplace, what are the things God wants you to lay down? And as God speaks that to you, just just jot that down. Just jot that down.
I feel like I just want to pray. Just want to pray over the things that you wrote down, including myself. I have things in my mind as well. So, Father, we just want to lay these things down, lay these people, our circumstances, our situations. We just want to lay them down at your feet. But we want to lay them down in faith. We want to lay them down knowing and having a knowing that you're going to pick it up. That you're going to pick it up and lift it up. And you're going to restore and renew and heal and not just heal but to take to a higher place to do more than we could ever think or imagine and so we just join together as a family i feel i feel like everybody has something so we all collectively bring that to you lord and ask that you would bring that up and that you give us courage you give us faith you give us encouragement and you give us belief that even though that we're not doing anything, that you're still working. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're good, that you want to do things for us and in us and through us. So we just commit all those things to you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's look at the second half of, of Acts chapter 18. Okay, so let's look at verse uh, 9 through 17. Okay, so after Paul had that experience about God lifting it up, lifting up his dream and his desire and speaking to uh, the leader of the synagogue, verse 9, he says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. He's talking about in Corinth. So verse 11, So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Galileo, the proconsul of Achaia, was the, the, Jew, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuaded the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or some serious crime, it'd be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your, your own law, settle the matter among yourselves. I will not be judge of such things. So he drove them off. And then the crowd then turned on Sosthenes. He's another synagogue leader, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Galileo showed no concern whatsoever. Okay, so in verse 9, Paul is getting prepared, right? Getting prepared for opposition. Getting prepared for opposition. So in your notes there, there's a little blank for that. It says in verses uh, 9 through 17 that there's strength in opposition. Okay, in opposition. That Paul is already going to be facing this and the Lord already knows it. So the Lord is already speaking to him beforehand and saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent for I'm going to be with you. So kind of, he gets them ready for what happens in verses 12, to 7, verses 12 to 17. Is that the Jews there, they're going to bring him to court. So they take him to court and they go before this proconsul uh, in the Corinth government, Gelo, uh, and then they're going to face different kinds of persecution. And it's interesting, when I read passages like this, and I don't know if you're the same, but when I read about persecution happening, and there's a lot in Acts, and when I read about that and think about persecution, if I hear about persecution, a lot of times it's very far away. 
Okay, so like I think about like, like Muslim countries or a people, a domestic, not here domestically, but abroad, about different persecution that happens. And you hear stories about people coming to faith and then being cut off from their family, or people coming to faith and then being persecuted, or some being killed and some being martyred. And that's what comes into my mind when I think about persecution. It's very kind of distant. And then at times I think, wow, I feel so blessed to be part of, of the church in the United States where we don't face that kind of persecution, that we have the freedom to gather in this place and not be afraid. I remember when I was in India and uh, we're sharing some of the things about the Freedom 101 class that we used to have here uh, that hopefully we're gonna have again this year. And I remember going to this one church and we were gonna be doing the class, okay? And so we were sitting in the car and this driver was taking us down this dirt road and then he stops in the middle of nowhere. There's like nothing. And he stops and he's like, okay, get out now. I'm like, there's nothing here. He said, oh, just, just go up this hill. So like we're walking up this like mountain. It's not a hill, it's like a mountain, right? So like we're going up this mountain, right? And then we're going and going and it's like rounding, rounding, rounding and going. I feel like we're just going up forever, right? And we finally get to the mountaintop way up high, right? And it's beautiful up there, right? beautiful view and right on the top of the mountain there's this little church and so we're talking to the pastor that we meet there and then he's talking about the church being way up there and he's saying uh, the reason we have this church up here not because it's beautiful is because we're trying to escape persecution because when we're meeting before we're all getting persecuted so they all travel for like many many miles and they walk up to this one mountainside and then they try to meet together at this church because of persecution and I felt like, wow, we're so blessed here that we'd be able to come and gather in freedom and, and not experience that kind of persecution. But I think for the first time ever when I, when I read something like this, I actually didn't think of something far away. I actually thought of something right here in the United States. I think for the first time I've ever felt like this is the most persecution I've seen of Christians as long as I can remember in the United States. That it's not maybe to the level that we're experiencing abroad in some of those other countries, but it's the most that I've ever seen. The kind of persecution that we're experiencing for believing in Jesus, for standing up for righteousness, to talking about things that we believe are right and what the Bible says is true. That when you're vocal about that, that when you stand up for those things, you're going to face more persecution and more opposition than I think we've ever experienced as long as I've been alive. It's interesting, I was reading this one quote from uh, Vice President Mike Pence. So he was giving an address to, is a commencement address to some graduating seniors at Liberty University. So I just want to read that quote to you. It's in your app and I'll be have it on the screen as well. He says, some of the loudest voices for tolerance today have little tolerance for traditional Christian beliefs. Pence continued, so as you go about your daily life, just be ready. Because you're going to be asked not just to tolerate things that violate your faith, you're going to be asked to endorse them. You're going to be asked to bow down to the idols of popular culture. So you need to prepare your minds for action, men and women, the vice president warned. You need to show them that we can love God and love our neighbor at the same time through words and deeds. 
men and women of Catalyst Christian Community. As you strive for greatness, know that you will face challenges. You'll face opposition, Pence noted. But just know this, if like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you end up in the fire, there'll be another in the fire. And when I read this, I felt like, this is so true. This is happening. This is happening right now. This is what Paul was experiencing in Acts chapter 18. This is what we're experiencing in the United States. And there are some of the things that kind of got highlighted is at the very end, when he says, if like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you end up in the fire, said there'll be another in the fire, though. And it really reminds me of what Paul speaks, uh, God speaks to Paul in verses 9 and 10. He said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And I think this is one of the things, encouragements he gave Paul, but I think he's an encouragement for all of us, is that when we face opposition, that's when God shows up the strongest. When we face opposition and we speak and stand up for righteousness and stand up for him, he will stand up for us. He will. You can test him in that. There's not a lot of things you're supposed to test the Lord in, but you can test him in that and know that for sure, that when you make a stand for him, he will make a stand for you. This is what he's saying for Paul. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Like when you're in your workplace, when you're hanging out with your friends, don't be afraid if the Holy Spirit prompts you to speak up, to say, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. And it's interesting because he says something earlier in the quote too that I think something that God's been emphasizing for us, which is when he says, you you need to show that we can love God and our neighbor at the same time. And what I mean, what I read into that is that you need to be able to, to love God, to love his truth, to love what he's about, but then also to love your neighbor who doesn't believe. You need to have truth and you need to have grace. And this was something I felt like he was trying to teach us when we were going through that messy grace series and it was this idea of grace and truth and that the best place for us to be is not all the way on one side where it's all just grace and you don't say anything and then you just give grace and it's not all on truth where you're just bashing it down people's throat and you're just saying it to people regardless of what they think regardless of their feelings regardless of their experience regardless of their circumstances you're just speaking the truth Right? And I think if you can think about people, you can think about people that are on both sides. You can think about people who are like that, maybe in your own experience where you feel like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to give grace. And then you could also see other people that are all the way on this other side, that they're just going to speak truth no matter what. It doesn't matter who gets hurt. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they're feeling. It doesn't matter what they're going through. You can think of people like that. But I think the most powerful witness we can have is when you're a combination right in the middle. When you can have grace and truth at the same time. That you can love and honor God and love your neighbor at the same time. That you can speak the truth, the way the Bible puts it, is speak the truth in love. But what I want to add to that is, don't speak the truth unless they know you love them. 
A lot of times people use that as an excuse to say whatever they want. I've heard that before. Oh, I'm just going to speak the truth in love. And they just let you have it. Right? And they use that as an excuse. Oh, I'm just speaking the truth in love. But one of the things the Lord is speaking to me about that is saying, well, if you're going to speak the truth in love, then don't speak the truth unless you know they know that you love them. You have to let them know that you love them. But I would say the opposite is true also. Don't say you love them if you refuse to speak the truth. Don't say you love them if you never speak the truth. If you know what going, they're going through is harmful. If you know what they're going through is hurting them. If you know what they're going through is causing them to be discouraged or to be in sin or whatever their situation is, don't say you love them if you're not willing to speak the truth. Okay? When do you do one and when do you do the other? I don't know. That's where you need to ask God. That's where you really need to hear the Lord. That's where you really need to ask God of how to balance the two. But we need to have both. We need to have both. The other thing that gets highlighted to me is, is something that I remember Jerry talking about. So Jerry Benui, he's our, our youth director. And um, he was talking about the kids and um, the kids in our own church and uh, some of your kids and just the things that they're going through and just the things that they're enduring in, at school. It's just like, it's a different world. You know, I, Barry's mentioned it before and I've, I've experienced when I talk to the kids, like some of the things that they're going through, I'm like, I have no idea what, I can't even relate to that. It's so different from when I grew up. It's so different from just even like five years ago. Okay, I remember talking with another um, college person who was like talking to some high schoolers and this person's only a couple years out of college. And they were saying, I can't relate to some of the things they're going through. That's two years ago. It's two years ago they were in high school and they can't relate. That's how quickly things are shifting in culture and society. And so Jerry was sharing about all these different things that were happening and uh, one of the comments he made to me really struck me and it relates to what we see here. He is saying, they're in this environment and there's culture, but they're so unprepared. They don't have the tools. They don't have the foundation they need to stand up and to stand strong. And I think that this is the call that we see, that we're going to face shaking and we're going to face opposition in life. But really, when that happens, we're going to see about our foundation, that we need a firm foundation. Okay, there's a place for you to jot that down, too. We have to have a firm foundation. And when we see what's happening in culture, I mean, you could have fear, you could have anxiety, you could have hopelessness, you can have all those things, or you can realize we have a firm foundation. Read about this, and we read about this in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Look at the other scenario, verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This story is an example or is a picture or a visual of our foundation. Where we're building our house on. Are we building it on a firm foundation on the rock? On obedience and listening to the word? Or are we building our house on the sand? Now what's interesting to me is the house on the sand and the house on the rock, they get the same thing. Both of them get the exact same thing. When you read that verse, it's the exact same description. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house. Exactly the same. Regardless if you have your house on the sand, or if you have your house on the rock, it's the same thing. The rains come down, the streams rise, the winds blow, and beats against that house. Both of them feel it. Even if you have your house on the rock, you're going to feel beat up. Just because you feel beat up doesn't mean that your house is not on the rock. Isn't that clear from this passage? Even though your faith is discouraged, even though you feel beat up by the winds and the waves and the streams, that does not mean that your faith is not on the rock, that your house is not built on a firm foundation. We have to make that clear because a lot of times when we're going through those situations, we're going through the difficult times where we're, the winds are coming and the waves are coming and we're in the storm and we feel all beat up and we feel like we don't have any faith. We feel like we are not on a firm foundation. We feel like we don't have any faith. We feel discouraged. We feel beat up. We feel defeated. Can I tell you that's not true? That's not true. Look at this story in Matthew 7. Both houses on the house on the rock and the house on the sand both get beat up. So just the fact that you get beat up doesn't mean that your house is on the sand, that you don't have a firm foundation. We need to get this clear because if we don't, it's easy to get totally discouraged and you feel like you just want to give up and you feel like, what's the use? I keep trying and trying and trying, but I just feel beat up all the time. And I think that this is where the Word of God and the strong foundation that he talks about is you need to be in God's Word because it's these kind of messages and truth that we need to hear so we can have the right perspective when we're going through this and we're getting beat up. We need to understand that our foundation is on the rock. You know, when um, I've shared this a lot at our church, but, you know, when our family was going through the difficult time with Susan's health and all these different things, I was beat up. And I had shared before, and I'll share again. When I was going through that time, I had, I felt like I had zero faith. Zero faith. And people would share different things to me and try to encourage me and different prayers for me. But it was just here and i don't want to say it's here just out here but <laughs> it didn't come here i felt like it didn't hit here and at the time i felt like man i don't i don't have faith and it felt discouraging you know but i look back at that time and there's one thing that i did have and i felt like that was an encouragement to me during that time 
And the one thing that I had during that time is, I remember it was one of the, the hardest times and I was on my walk with the Lord in the morning like I usually do, I just walk and talk with God. And then I was just crying out to him and I said, I don't know why this is all happening. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know how this is gonna end. But I said, but no matter what happens, I believe in you. That's all I had to say. That's all I had faith for. But then that's what the Lord said is, that's all you need to have. You don't need to have anything else. That's your firm foundation. That's your firm foundation. It's not this tremendous amount of courage and faith that you're displaying during the, the, the rains and the torment. It's this determination that you have at your deepest core, at your foundation that says, I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I still believe in you. I still trust in you. I still believe in you. That's the firm foundation that we have in Jesus. So I want my encouragement is that when we look at the things that we're going through and looking at the things that we experience, that um, there's things in our mindset that need to change and things that we need to shift in our thinking. And there's a place to jot this down at the end, but when we have our foundation shaken and when God tests your foundation, it can become a springboard or an albatross. Okay, so there's a place to jot that down. It says, when God tests your foundation, shakes your foundation, it either can become a springboard or an albatross. What do I mean by that? That when we're going through difficult times and difficult circumstances, either it could be a springboard to increase our faith and increase our trust and increase our belief in God who's bigger and more, or it could be an albatross around our neck that keeps us sinking and keeps us down and keeps us discouraged. What's the difference? How do I know if what I'm going through is going to become a springboard for me or an albatross around my neck? And I think the difference, there's a lot of differences, but one of the differences is that if you're, now first I want to say this, if you're in the crisis mode right now, if you're in the DEFCON 5, you're, if you're in the life or death, that's not the time to have a springboard. That's a time where you seek, go inside the strong tower, you know, and that's where the Lord, the Lord is going to cover you. But when you're coming out of that, and when you're coming out of that, and when I mean coming out of that, it doesn't mean everything is gone. Okay, it doesn't mean all the anxiety is gone. It doesn't mean all the fear is gone. It doesn't, it's just you're not in crisis mode anymore. Okay, this is the time that I'm talking about. Is that when you're in that situation, this is the time that you need to exercise your will. Okay? And I think for me, the Lord is she's just showing me is my will is not strong. <laughs> that I need to really increase my will and work on my will. Because when you look at a springboard and albatross, and the example that, that you can see in the Bible is Peter and Judas. Okay? If you look at those two characters, Peter and Judas, both of them had horrible failures. Horrible failures. Right? Peter denied Jesus. Even after Jesus told him, you're going to deny him, what do you say? I will never deny you. I will go to the death for you. I won't deny you. And then he denies him. And then Judas denies Jesus. What's the difference between those two men? One used their failure as a springboard, and you see that in Acts, what Peter does. That he goes, the next moment we meet Peter, that he's preaching to 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. 
that what happened to him was a springboard to greater faith and greater fruitfulness. With Judas, it became an albatross, and then he hanged himself. So I think when we look at those two examples, I think the Lord is asking, is your situation going to be a springboard or is it going to be an albatross? And I think what's hard about that is because a lot of times he's asking us to be, use it as a springboard when we're not fully out of it yet. And if you're waiting for you to be fully out of it, I think that's when it becomes too long. And I think that's one of the things he was speaking to me as I was coming out of that heavy season, that valley of the shadow of death season, I was in it too long. It too long. And then started feeling like an albatross. It started feeling like a weight that was too heavy. And I think that that's one of the things the Lord wants to speak this morning is don't let it go too long. Don't let it go too long before you start rising up and saying like, no, no more. And one of the things the Lord started speaking to me, and it's interesting, it coincided with when I turned 50. Like, even before, right, right when I was about to turn 50, this thing started welling up within me. It's like, I got to make use of every day. I don't know how many more days I have, but I want to make use of every day. And the other part, the flip side of that was, and the enemy and fear have stolen too many days from me. Too many days. Too many days. You might feel like that today, too. Circumstances and fear and the enemy has taken too many days. And sometimes it's important for us to draw a line in the sand and say, no more. No more. No more. The enemy has taken too much ground, taken too many days. I can't get those days back. Do you know that? That's one thing you can't recover. I can't get yesterday back. I can't get those other days back. I can only do today. I can make today different. I can make today and the next day different. And something rose up on me and saying, like, I need to draw a line in the sand. No more. I'm not going to let this become an albatross. I want to use it as a springboard. And it's hard. I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy. <laughs> it's not easy. But I think one of the things that really made it clear to me is while I was going through that, because I feel like, oh, I don't feel stronger. I don't feel more faith. And he says, how are you going to know if you are really strong unless you're going to do it while the storm is still there? How are you going to know this could be a springboard for you unless you're going to do it in the midst of the storm? When it's all free, when there's no clouds in the sky, there's no storm, and then you want to spring up, is that going to give you confidence that you are stronger, that you have stronger faith and more trust in the Lord? Or is it going to happen while you're still in the storm? Okay, maybe not the crisis at the DEFCON 5, but coming out of it, you still feel like it's there. Where are you going to feel the strength? Where, are you, where is God going to build your confidence and assurance? Where is God going to build your trust in him where you have more trust and more belief and more fervency and more determination to say yes? It's in the storm. It's in the storm. And that's, that's what I wanted to, to share as an encouragement to you. Some of you are, are in the middle of that. And if you're in the DEFCON 5, then experience the Lord's grace and presence this morning. If you're coming out of that, though, or if you've already been out of that, 
I just want to encourage you this morning is we need to respond. We need to respond to the Lord. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and I'm going to pray for us. So Lord, I pray this morning, I feel like you want us to experience in a real and tangible way Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, For God causes all things to work for the good of those who love him. How many know that all things are bad things? If it was already a good thing, he doesn't need to work it out to become a good thing. How many know that the all things are bad things, negative things that are going on? God causes all those things to work for the good. So I just pray for your courage and your faith and your belief and your trust in how big you are and how you are working in us, that the Holy Spirit lives in us, to give us a, a courage to rise up and to draw a line in the sand to say no more. That today, I want to worship God. Today, I want to give Him my heart. Today, I want to say, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to build my foundation on the rock. And I'm going to say yes to you. So whatever the Lord speaks to you, and that's the key. During this time, you've got to hear from God and just do what he says. So during the worship time, even right now, pray that you be able to respond. If he just says, stand up, stand up. You don't feel like standing up? Stand up anyway. You don't feel like raising your hands? If he tells you to raise your hands, raise your hands anyway. Because you want to say, I trust you. I want to believe in you. Let me make this small demonstration of faith right now to worship you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. So I pray that you would just bless us right now. Bless us, Lord, with your presence. That's what we need the most. Bless us, Lord, with your presence and release worship. Release worship to you right now. Thank you, Lord, for being our firm foundation, for being our rock. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.